In his book, Love Alone is Credible, the great 20th century theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar had the following to say about the awakening of love in the life of the human person. After a mother has smiled at her child for many days and weeks, she finally receives her child's smile in response. She has awakened love in the heart of her child, and as the child awakens to love, it also awakens to knowledge. The initially empty sense impressions gather meaningfully around the core of the thou. Knowledge comes into play because the play of love has already begun beforehand, initiated by the mother, the transcendent. God interprets himself to man as love in the same way. He radiates love, which kindles the light of love in the heart of man. And it is precisely this light that allows man to perceive this, the absolute love. In this face, the primal foundation of being smiles at us as a mother and as a father, insofar as we are his creatures. The seeds of love lies dormant within us as the image of God. But just as no child can be awakened to love without being loved, so too no human heart can come to an understanding of God without the free gift of his grace in the image of his Son. That's von Balthasar. My name is Matt Cheminsky. This is the Curious Catholic Podcast. Today we'll begin a couple-week focus on St. Augustine. While Augustine is known by many a Catholic by name, it's my hope that over the next few episodes we can get to know him, his experience, and his thinking more fully. This present episode will look at how Augustine was shaped, challenged, and deeply impacted by two particular women in his life. The first was his mother, Monica, that is, Saint Monica. The name of the other woman has not reached us through history, but she and Augustine were in a long-term relationship for over a decade, and the two of them together had a son named Adeodatus. This period occurred prior to Augustine's baptism, and the split that occurred between them, though initiated by Augustine, deeply pained him. The love of these two women proved to be profoundly formative of Augustine's life. And not only did the authenticity of their human love shape Augustine, it was in fact revelatory of divine love. God, in mysterious but perceivable ways, reached Augustine by way of these two women. Today I'll be speaking about all of this with Brother Bill Gabriel, who is presently in formation with the Augustinian friars of the province of St. Thomas of Villanova. Brother Bill and I actually taught together for a couple years between his graduating from Villanova University and his entrance into the Augustinians. Brother Bill has extensive experience in youth ministry, teaching, and coaching. Here he is talking about what has drawn him to the person of St. Augustine. I think what draws me to Augustine is that there's something very real about Augustine, Um, even though he's born, living, writing in the 4th and 5th century, there's something about his restlessness. His story, I think, resonates with uh, many people, one where it was of a wayward life, searching for something um, and searching in all the wrong places, if you will, and then to come to a 
a rest ultimately in God that he finds. Um, and then that we have such a richness in his writing and his, in his ability to articulate that intellectually. Um, and he blends this richness with a pastoral approach as well. And I think for that, the more and more I read him and experience Augustine um, through his writings, the more I fall in love with that and in love with what he's saying. And I think um, it just keeps drawing me back to it. And I, I gain a new insight. And I think for that reason, I, I am drawn to Augustine. Today, we'll focus on the confessions, which uh, most everyone has heard of, of course. Mm. Uh, and there's an understanding that it's autobiographical in nature. But can you give us a, a quick overview, a quick book jacket blurb about the confessions? You know, if you had someone and had 30 seconds, what would you say to them to get them to read it? Oh, no. Oh, gosh. Uh, I, I fear that's an impossible task. But... Um, well, I think it is autobiographical in nature. However, many people uh, would argue that, uh, and um, they have different places that they place their types of literature and genres that they would argue about where it exactly falls. But in terms of a quick kind of book jacket blurb, it's a story of uh, a human being who's he chronicles his life. But he does so from a, a spiritual sort of memoir, if I can say, of seeing God in the midst of the moments in which he failed and was seeking elsewhere for meaning and purpose um, to place his ambition. And then to ultimately find that in God, uh, in, in Christ. And so it's an incredible story. Um in which he offers a kind of a look back on his life and how God then has worked through that and the graces that he experienced, even in those um, brutally messy moments. Um, and so I think for that, this text has lasted as long as it has. Um, and so the last 10, 11, 12, and 13, those books are, um, are meditations, but books one through nine um, we get more of that autobiographical with that theological reflection on those uh, years of his life. So certainly not 30 seconds. Uh, so I failed that task, but um, that would be my uh, the shortest way I could describe it. No, that's great. That's uh, a good way of depicting the work because uh, it is so much more than just an autobiography or memoir. Um, mm. And so recently you, you wrote something focusing on one aspect of the confessions. And of course, there's a whole publishing little cottage industry on the confessions. Right. But you focused on the idea that faithful, loving motherhood, as depicted in the confessions, can be seen as an icon of divine love, not just human love, but divine love. Mm. So who are these mothers in Augustine's life that impact him so deeply? Right. Yeah. And I, it's a fascinating thing to look at when you read the text from this um, point of view. Um, but it is the mother, his own mother, Monica, um, St. Monica, and uh, the mother of his son, whom remains nameless in the text, but whom he shares, um, it's a common law wife, 
as he will refer to her as. Um, but the mother of his son, Deodatus, whom he was faithful um, to for quite some time. So those are the two figures that I focused on in my piece, the two mothers that um, demonstrated, revealed to him, were conduits of that divine love of God. And it, it's his lived experience of, of their love that not only enriches him, but challenges him. So how is the lived experience of this love by way of these two, the love experience by way of these two women, how is this an avenue for him toward truth? It's not just sort of personal enrichment, but a almost intellectual enrichment as well. So how does that all play out? Right. So uh, there's a, a longer kind of context here. Uh, in terms of late antiquity, when Augustine would be living and writing, um, in which case focuses the, the sort of philosophical schools of its time. And this is a lot of research done that unfortunately we don't have a lot of time to get into today, and there are many scholars on it. But the the what the stressing is of the philosophy, which would have sort of been imbued in all parts of the culture, and similarly to his experience growing up, um, he, this would have been very much so a part of his life, was there was this focus on that um, truths are found when they are lived. Um, and so models were held up in society to demonstrate what good conversation would look like. So we have the Platonic dialogues, for example, where these were these, mo- these dialogues that really emphasized um, what good conversations, which would lead to a sense of transformation of life. It wasn't merely um, an intellectual endeavor um, or dogmatic or um, sort of principles that were uh, dispensed and therefore people just took them in. Um, And so surrounded by that sense um, uh, around him, those experiences of his mother, his own mother, Monica, and the mother of his son, Adeodatus, they they lead him to see that there's a sense of of truth, something greater than just personal enrichment. That this is an invitation, if he's open to it, just like you have to be in a conversation, in a dialogue. If you really are entering into that dialogue, if you're really experiencing and in relationship with one another, um, then there has to be an openness to the possibility of being transformed. Uh, by the truth that can be discovered uh, often together. Um, So that's sort of a a long way of saying that that would have been common in his time. So by experiencing the love of these two women, specifically um, for our conversation, that it would, that would have led necessarily to a transformation of life because he would have had to be open to that. Uh, by being in relationship with them. Um, and, and it leads to something bigger than therefore remaining as he was. But a transformation of life would be a necessity if he was to really be in real authentic relationship. Right. And it's not even all all rosy for him, right? It's not as if he sees these perfect models and he sort of pursues that that image of perfection, right? They kind of show him in stark ways, his own deficiencies, right? Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he begins to realize that they love in a way 
far greater than he loves them. And this, this frustrates him almost. I mean, he's, he's uh, alarmed by it in a way and awestruck uh, by the way in which they love. Uh, and he sees his insufficiencies and his inability to love in return in the same way that they do. And I think that's what really uh, places motherhood, as I read the text, to be this sort of model, this icon uh, image of the divine for him. Right. I mean, well, how does that work there? Let's, let's go in that direction, right? How is the experience of, of the human love and affection and care of these women a window onto divine love? Right. So, um, and, and we hopefully we'll get to unpack some of the specifics of the way in which they do this um, later on. But it's, it's really through, through there in perhaps three ways. Um, their gift giving, um, the gift of their very selves through motherhood, um, and their sort of their superior sense of loving. That's uh, um, almost this letting go that they are willing to do in his life that he finds that he can't do, and this mercifulness that they have on him and others that he notices that begin to reveal not just a simply a human love, but a love that he sees as, as greater than, than the love that he has for things, for example, in the world, or his own ambition, or lust, or those types of loves. And so he begins to see that there's something greater, there's a truth here bigger than that human experience of love, that they are able to sacrifice their own um, convenience, um, selfish wants and desires that they might have as human beings for the sake of other. And I think it's that that says, gosh, there's something here um, that's being freely given in the way that they are loving others and him that propels him to see this. There's, there's ultimately God at work uh, here and therefore the window then gets opened. So let's get specific then, as you mentioned, you know, we, we should get, uh, into particular scenes or, or, or moments, right? So, you know, at the beginning of the confessions book one, you know, he's writing of his birth, uh, and it's this wonderful sort of foray into his consideration of, of human, uh, dependency and, and sort of these early moments of our lives. And he's experiencing these inward desires as, as a toddler and infant, but he's unable to communicate them. Um, but he muses, you know, at this moment in the confessions on the gift of God's love mediated through his birth, his embodied existence, and his even being nursed by his mother. Right. Right. So, which is, you know, just an amazing moment in the book, but, you know, how is this, you know, to get specific, right? As we were saying, right? How is this profound moment of human affection and care also a divine gift in Augustine's eyes? Right. Uh, oh, great question. I, you know, and I get uh, very energized by the 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 poetic sort of prayerful way that he goes about it. But you're right. In book one, when he's reflecting on his infancy. Um, 
he he has this great sense of the unique love of a mother, specifically at the time of birth. And so he says, you know, that God ultimately is loving him through his mother. And so it's like one of those things, the best way it was placed, put to me, was that um, to come into the world means to be given the gift of one's mother's body. So from the very beginning of conception, your experience, the gift of your mother's body. I mean, it's, uh, so you're, you're for just, it's mind blowing to me that that's the, that's the first sort of experience of life is in relation to gift, um, freely given. And so, so when he talks about his mom during that, uh, during birth of him and in infancy and the care that she has for him, she, she writes here, he writes stuff like, I was welcomed by the tender care your mercy provided for me. Um, so he's speaking, the tender care is through his mom, but he's acknowledging that it's God who is providing uh, this, providing his mom for the sake of complete gift for his creation. Um, and it's, uh, and it's a beautiful image to have that the gift of God's creation and his mother kind of diffuses itself for the sake of her child, that um, it's in, it's God who is therefore allowing the nursing of him through his mother to occur, that it's not done out of any selfish desire on her behalf, um, but for the sake of him. And that they were, that that human milk that he'll write uh, is waiting for him. Um, and uh, and so to receive that sense of abundance as part of God's plan, I think, gives him a real sense of, gosh, this is an incredible moment to reflect back upon. Uh, a moment where only, as he sees, can God's love be really uh, revealed here um, through his mom in the way that a mother cares for a newborn child. So he has this idea, right, that God as a source of all goodness is going to be diffusive, right? It's going to give of itself. Right. And it's going to sort of ripple through the, the various uh, levels of, of our of our existence, right? Right. Absolutely. It, it's, it's to say that uh, the goodness that's present uh, in God is therefore the same goodness that is revealed and, and passed down, that overabundance that we see in the example of as Monica was for Augustine, as a mother is for a child, um, by its nature as goodness then uh, gives out to the one in need who is the infant who's completely dependent. Um, and I think that's a, it's a powerful moment for Augustine. As it should be for everyone, right? To think about right. us in that way, right? And how, you know, the radical dependence of the infant or or, or the elderly or the sick is really a... A, a message in a way to us all about our, our always, our always existent existential status, right? We're always right. so dependent upon the goodness of the, of God mediated through others. And... Right. And yeah, it's the mother, it's, it's motherhood here in book one, right at the beginning. Now, I mean, he obviously was not, nor we were ever conscious of this as right. infants, 
But <laughs> looking back at that moment and beginning to see God there, which I think makes this uh, the confession so rich, is being able to say that motherhood mediates the divine super gratuity, um, becomes that instrument for that to happen and experience uh, for the infant. Um, it's yeah, it's really remarkable. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, so, so that's a little, little, little view on Monica and Augustine. But let's pivot then to later in the Confessions, Book Six, where he's discussing the mother of his son, mm-hmm. who is, as you said, is nameless. Um, and he writes uh, piercingly yeah. of her departure from him. Um, and so, you know, maybe you'll let me read a little bit from the text because I found it so moving and so transparent you know um so he says this in book six meanwhile my sins were multiplying for the woman woman with whom i had been cohabiting was ripped from my side being regarded as an obstacle to my marriage so deeply was she engrafted into my heart that it was left torn and wounded and trailing blood. So what's going on here? Why does she leave? I mean, this is Augustine pre-baptism still, but why does she leave? And why does he mourn her so? Right. Um, You know, uh, he often gets um, criticized quite a bit for this moment when uh, his common-law wife, to whom he was faithful um, to, we have for I think it's 14 years, um, for about 14 years. So it wasn't like he was going around, um, as some people depict him right. as this womanizer figure. And yet he's faithful to this woman. He has a son with her and dismisses her. Now, now scholars will suggest as, um, Maria Bolding who translates the confessions and, and she kind of illuminates a sense of that probably from the pressure of his, his mom, and Ambrose, the Bishop of Milan, um, this would have been uh, an encouraged piece. Why? Because this understanding that uh, she would not have been of the same class, and therefore a marriage to her would have been um, hurting him uh, from a social standing, as well as any sort of career ambitions that he had, which at this time, as you acknowledge, is pre-conversion. And he's He's trying to make a name for himself and to um, and to become a very powerful figure. So for those reasons, we have this dismissal. But we see here, it's not a, like a, a throwaway line. As you read that line so richly, we almost have this sort of profound love, like she is Eve, uh, mm-hmm. if he's Adam. I mean, ripped from his side and grafted into his heart. It's like, this was no um, easy thing for him, which I think speaks to his love uh, of her and what she meant to him. And I think that that cannot be understated. Um, And so, but what's really incredible here, uh, for the sake of what really mediates a sort of uh, divine love to him, is this uh, really, this... Um, what she does in response to this dismissal. 
um, just right below that line that you read, uh, he says, she had returned to Africa, vowing to you, God, that she would never give herself to another man. And the son I had fathered by her was left with me. So here's this woman who is being dismissed by Augustine for a variety of social reasons. Um, and yet she says, I will not marry or have an affair with another man. I will remain loyal and faithful uh, to you as the one that I love um, uh, in the eyes of God. And she gives away a Deodatus as well, uh, which seems to be, I mean, which is a sacrifice for her to let go of her own child, uh, perhaps uh, thinking that he'll have a better life with him. Um, but it's, a, it's an incredible sacrificial moment um, in which she remains faithful to Augustine and remains faithful uh, to that relationship when we know that he was unable to do that himself. And the contrast here, I think, is what's key because he acknowledges that he could not wait. He could not, even though he was betrothed to someone and he had to wait two years to presumably she was of age, he could not uh, deal with the despair of leaving her um, as we hear that she, he did not heal from this separation, this wound uh, putrefied and the pain became a cold despair, he says in that same area. And so he finds others, uh, women to have lustful relationships with, which should not perhaps surprise us in modernity. Uh, as we probably know many people who in their moments of despair and, and loneliness seek out, uh, kind of the carnal desires to be satisfied. Um, and I think we have a very hurting Augustine here, but it's really in contrast to the superior love that this mother of his child um, offers to him that he realizes he cannot mutually um, reciprocate. Right. And he even says that he couldn't like very explicitly. He says, I, I couldn't follow her model, right? right. Her example, um, which is, which is really rather rich and, and uh, revealing. All right, so we 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 looked at Monica with Augustine, the the mm -hmm. infant. Um, we looked at the mother of of his son, Adeodatus, and that that really is a moving moment, and that often gets glossed over in depictions of Augustine. How uh, you know we hear about this woman, but we don't often hear about her 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 virtue her virtues of love in in that instance. So right. I, I'm glad we got to touch on that. Um, for a period, but let's go back to Monica mm. uh, toward the end of her life. And this is in book nine uh, of the confessions. And we hear about how Monica was, um, was trained in the school of the heart <laughs> as Augustine phrases it, you know, how God shaped Monica in the school of the heart. And he's kind of going through her, her tactics, so to speak for peacemaking and drawing others closer to God. Uh, so you can, can you give us an idea of, of the, the tactics of Monica and her, you know, her place in the conversion of her husband, of her, of her relationship with her mother-in-law? Right. Yeah. We have a, um, uh, something that I didn't quite appreciate when I first read this in, um, my undergraduate days. Um, 
we have this example of, of Monica in book nine. So we're re- reaching towards the end of his sort of uh, the narrative of his life here. And he, he begins to tell us about what she, for lack of a better phrase, kind of puts up with. Uh, mm-hmm. And he, he, he describes Patricius, his father, whom we can gather does not have a good relationship with Augustine um, by his description of description of, of him here is that a Patricius was unfaithful and perhaps prone to arguments. Um, and he describes him as be, having cheated on Monica, uh, marital infidelities as Augustine will write is hot tempered and angry. Um, and so yet Monica though, we have this beautiful depiction of her putting up gently with her husband's poor behavior. Um, uh, perhaps not to condone, but praying for his conversion, um, seeing the good that is still present within him, despite being treated as poorly as she was by him. Um, and so he notes that she made it her business to win uh, Patricius for God by preaching to him through her way of life, her her knack for peacemaking in moments of tension, of violence, um, become something that Augustine marvels at. Uh, and now he's writing this text after she has already passed away. I mean, he's probably five, six years a priest now, maybe a bishop, Um but he's writing after the fact and he's reflecting back on this moment and how, how was she able to uh, reveal the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God in these moments, if she wasn't convicted of that experience of that school of the heart that Augustine describes her of having um, participated in uh, that experience of God in her own life that allowed her to bear this sort of fruit in these relationships. And eventually as you note, wins over Patricius uh, on his deathbed, we hear at times, as he's close to death, eventually requesting baptism. And Augustine sees it as uh, an incredible uh, giftedness that God gives Monica. Right. Um, You know, and it's profound, you know, even before that moment of baptism for her husband, you know, there's the whole narration of, how she wins over her mother-in-law by her gentleness and, and truthfulness and, and sort of subtle virtue mm-hmm. that isn't, you know, sort of ostentatious or for display. Um, but as she comes to her own death, what is this, this big request that Monica makes of Augustine that in a way invites him toward a higher expression of love? Right. Uh, she asked for a favor um, as she, uh, is dying in her, in her favor that she asks here is to remember me. She says to Augustine at the altar of the Lord, wherever you may be. Um, and so what the invitation becomes then is to, uh, memorialize his mother, which he's doing in writing this in the text. I mean, he's deliberately choosing to add this piece here, the request made by Monica. Um, but here's the most incredible part of it is 
this requires Augustine to do something for the other, uh, to fulfill the request made by his mom, whom has loved him better than he has loved her in return, as we've seen throughout. And to do this, to say this, and then to invite all who are reading this text to bring forth this gift to her, to also remember Monica at the altar of the Lord, wherever they may be, uh, to extend that request to all who read the text, to make the text really at the end here about his mom, is perhaps we get a sense of, ah, he gets it. Mm -hmm. You know, like he has transformed his life, that, that it wasn't simply an intellectual conversion, um, which is much richness of that in the text, but there's the very act of memorializing his mom um, in this way and inviting others to do it, to make this confession, this sign of praise uh, for her and to use the text in this way is revelatory of the transformation that occurred in his own life, which he acknowledges can only make, be a, uh, have been made possible by the love he experienced of God in his own life. And I think, and in, in just to add to that, because I think this is really uh, profound here, is that he also um, adds the additional request of remembering to his father. Uh, he takes on his own, uh, Monica's way of forgiveness as she put up with uh, his father's iniquities and, and infidelities and anger and so forth and forgived him continuously by the grace of God. What she does then is he says, may she then rest in peace with her husband and so inspire others, my Lord, to remember Monica, your altar, along with my father, Patricius. Because or sometimes husband, right? Yeah, sometime her husband. <laughs> yeah, so for a while, I think is what he's meaning here, who was yeah. husband. And uh, um, so by invoking a prayer for another, and then also forgiving his own father by including him in there because he knew how much that would mean to his mother, it's like, it's mind-blowing when I, when I read the text this way and I see, yes, by being open to the relationships, the models of mothers in his own life, he then takes up that same unique love of mother that he experienced in his, in his common-law wife and the mother of his son and the mother, uh, his own mother, Monica. He then becomes open to conversion of his own heart uh, for the sake of others and therefore uh, a divine, an image, an icon of the divine himself. Yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful way of viewing Augustine. And, you know, we often hear of Augustine as, you know, he had this mom that prayed for him. Right. <laughs> and magically, you know, he's a bishop, you know. Um, I mean, that's not entirely fair. But this way of, of looking at the confessions, as, as you've laid out, you know, really speaks to something much deeper, much richer, much more human. Hmm. But in being all of those things, it's a much more accurate depiction of how we can encounter God in the midst of human relationship, um, especially those that are as intimate and close to us as mother to child. Uh, so I guess I'll ask, you know, more generally, you know, 
for for us presently mm. you know on pilgrimage uh you know do you see motherhood and and motherly love uh as an icon of divine love as a, as a worthwhile and beneficial image a, a, as a beneficial sort of avenue toward understanding god yeah no i, I think uh to actualize this and ask that so what question is really uh, powerful. I think for me personally, um, I do find it to be really beneficial. I mean, I think there's something, even when I see, for example, my own uh, sister here, who now has given birth to two of my uh, beautiful nephews, uh, there's something in her sacrifice and in the sacrifice of her um, husband, my brother-in-law as well. But there's something in her nurturing and her, her, even when it seems inconvenient, uh, when it seems like all the world would say, why bother? Um, she's becomes this image of just always giving, uh, for the sake of these boys. And it's inspirational to me who doesn't quite have that experience being in formation, um, and in an exclusive relationship in that way, but to be able to witness that in her and in my own mother, uh, to begin to see uh, that as an icon of divine love, I think really reveals to me that super gratuity that we can experience um, kind of incarnationally here in the world um, made possible by God, who is the ultimate cause. Um, I think it's a really helpful and rich, a rich image um, to speak to. I think it can speak to a lot of people who are seeking something greater than possessive, superficial love, which often our society seems to tout as real love. Um, but we know something deeper here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so, final question here, um, and this is a this is a big one for someone like Augustine, but maybe in three or four sentences. What would you say makes Augustine a shaper of the Catholic imagination? Yeah, uh, another tough one. I would say Augustine, in his humanness, in his willingness to share the messiness of his life, um, and then to share God's uh, goodness and and grace in the midst of that messiness, um, I think becomes someone in whom um, almost every single person can relate to um, and therefore shapes our Catholic imagination in a way that suggests that the bounds of God's mercy and forgiveness and super gratuity um, are endless and, uh, and that we are invited into that process to know that a conversion is that ongoing process, that transformation of heart, which will take time and prayer. And ultimately, um, at the end of the day, uh, God's love uh, will, prepare, uh, will prevail in the midst of that. I think that's a unique gift that he gives to us at such an early age in our church's history. Thanks to Brother Bill Gabriel for his time and insight into the life and thought of St. Augustine. I also want to thank you for listening. As you could expect, most of the listeners of this young podcast hail from the United States. But I also want to give a mention to our international listeners, 
who have tuned in from places like Panama, Canada, Israel, Germany, Sweden, and Australia. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to the show. If you'd like to help this show in a very concrete way, check out the link to our new Patreon page in the show notes. There's a couple of liturgically themed tiers of support, starting with the humble but important weekday and ordinary time tier, which supports the show at the tune of $3 a month. There are benefits that accompany each level of support, so if you're interested, please check out the link in the show notes. In the next episode, we'll see how the rule St. Augustine wrote for communities of religious men and women provides guidance for how we might live a more harmonious common life on the way to God, as Augustine would put it. Until then, let's continue journeying further up and further in.